0: Well, let's pray and uh, we'll look at Genesis together. Loving Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that you would encourage us in our faith as we look at it now. Please not only help us not only to see your promises but to see you who is our provider. And we pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, uh, my old boss at a previous church uh, is a wonderful preacher and not just because he tells some good stories, um, but I was reminded of one of his favourite stories uh, when I heard him tell it at summer school this year, uh, and that is that there was a couple who had twin boys, and uh, as the boys grew, it became clear that they had two very different personalities. One was a total pessimist, and the other was an absolute optimist. Uh, And the couple decided that it might be best to try and moderate the personalities of their two sons um, somewhat to bring them a bit of balance. And so they came up with a plan to be enacted on Christmas Day, uh, they would shower the pessimist with Christmas presents on Christmas Day, but the optimist, they would fill his room with horse manure. So uh, when the parents woke on Christmas morning, they had, they had done the deed during the night and um, visited the boys' rooms to see how the plan was working out. They went to the pessimist's room and found him sitting um, amidst a mountain of wonderful toys, Xboxes and Nerf guns and surfboard and cricket bats and Meccano sets and huge jars of lollies and all these Christmas presents all around him. But he was in tears, and they said, what's the matter? He said, I'll never be able to enjoy all these toys. There are just too many. They then went to the room of the optimist um, and found him in the middle of the pile of horse manure with a shovel, digging madly and whistling happily as he worked. They said, how are you going? He said, oh, I'm great. There's got to be a horse in here somewhere. (laughs) Well, I've read somewhere that um, pessimists are more often correct. That is, pessimists are usually more realists, uh, and yet optimists are usually more successful because they just keep trying. If you're a Christian, then ultimately you will be an optimist. But that's not because you're in cloud cuckoo land. Your optimism will also be realism because uh, you have a hope... That is realistic, it's based on the promises of none other than God. And yet, of course, it's possible even for Christians who are optimistic and realistic at the same time to fall into despair from time to time and give up our hope. Sometimes, perhaps, we're not sure that God will provide for us. Perhaps you can't reason why God would stick with you given what you're like and what you've done. Or sometimes maybe you can't see how God is going to provide for you at the moment. Or maybe it doesn't look like he is providing for you at the moment. Your Christian life is one step forward and two steps back and nothing seems to be happening and is God really going to bless you like he promised? But we need to trust that the Lord will provide according to his promises. He will do it in his way and he will do it in his time but he will provide because he has promised that he will. And so even if you're surrounded by horse manure, a Christian can trust that there is a horse in there somewhere, or at least there's one on the way. And so we need to make sure that we don't grow weary and lose heart. Um, Now, as we've gone through several chapters of Genesis so far this term, uh, we've seen God make a huge promise to Abraham, and we've seen Abraham respond with faith. He was prepared to trust God for those promises Uh, He is now walking before the Lord as a friend of God and a covenant partner with God and we saw something of that in last week's passage. But Abraham, of course, is still only human and God still needs to teach him and to test him in his faith because God's attitude to us is not, oh, well, they've got some faith now so that'll do, I'll just leave them alone. No, he then works in our lives to refine our faith and to teach us more so that we're ready for anything and so that we can bring more glory to God. He wants your faith to grow and to sharpen. And so Abraham has a range of experiences in chapters 20 to 23 in which he sees that God can be trusted and God will provide and these all feed his faith. So I've got six points on your outline and they're not all the same length. Number one is we see that God provides despite our flaws in chapter 20. If God sees something in you that he doesn't like or he doesn't approve of, Is his reaction to turn off the tap of blessing? Say, okay, that's it for that person. I don't like that about them. Well, no, it's not his reaction. Uh, In chapter 20, a a familiar flaw in Abraham resurfaces. It would seem that he had a standard arrangement with his wife for dealing with local kings when they came into into a king's territory. They would pretend that his wife Sarah was his sister instead of his wife because Abraham was, was scared that the king might kill him in order to get Sarah for himself. Uh, so that may well involve the king taking Sarah into his harem uh, because he thinks she's available and giving Abraham money. And so, I don't know if you followed that, you probably know what I'm talking about. Um, verse 30, Abraham admits that he has said to Sarah in the past, this is how you can show your love to me pretending that I'm your sister rather than your wife whenever we encounter a local king. So in other words, Abraham's a creep and a coward. And he's tried this in Egypt in chapter 12, as we read about in the first passage, and he was made to look a fool. But he got to keep the money in the end. Here, he tries it again with Abimelech, the king of the Philistines. And the thing at this point is that in doing this, he's even working against God's promise because God has promised that he and Sarah together will have a baby in a year's time. So you think, well, what on earth is he giving his wife to go into the harem of a king and sort of put that promise under a cloud if he's supposed to be the father of the baby that Sarah is about to have? And uh, I don't know if this occurs to you, but um, we might ask why Abimelech was interested in taking Sarah into his harem since she was now almost 90 years old and in her own words, worn out. Um, I've just got a few thoughts on this. Well, maybe he was quite old as well, so that makes a bit more sense. Or maybe it was more a political marriage, so it wasn't so much about the sex, it was about sort of forming an alliance with your rich neighbour. Or maybe Sarah was a fairly well-preserved 90. Um, (laughs) She eventually lived to 127 and Abraham to 175. So maybe their 90 was equivalent to our kind of 50 or 60 or something like that. Uh, or maybe God was miraculously miraculously rejuvenating her somehow, getting her ready to have a baby in a year's time. For whatever reason, Abimelech takes her to be his wife. And God speaks to Abimelech in a dream and says to him, she is a married woman, you are as good as dead. Abimelech protests, I haven't touched her yet. And I didn't know, they lied to me, it's not my fault, says Abimelech to God. God says, I know it's not your fault, just give Abraham his wife back. And even though Abraham was the one who wronged Abimelech by lying, Abimelech was the one who had to pay restitution to Abraham for taking his wife and then he gives a whole lot of cash to Sarah to sort of restore her honour. And so even though Abraham was again a creep and a coward, God blesses him. And God still saw Abraham as his prophet in verse 7. He doesn't sack him from being his prophet at this point. Um, God had kept all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving children while Sarah was there. And it wasn't until Abraham prayed for them that God restored their health. So Abraham still has this function as a prophet. Even though there's this obvious flaw in his character and Achilles' heel, God continues to use and to bless him. It occurs to me how much more will God bless through a person who has no flaws. That is, of course, Jesus Christ. But those of us who are quite aware of our flaws—I'm aware of some of mine. You might be aware of some of yours. We can take heart in the fact that God is bigger than our flaws. He sticks with us despite our flaws. Um, you don't have to pretend that you don't have any flaws with God. So that's the first thing. God God provides despite our flaws. The second thing we see here is that God provides through the extraordinary. At the start of chapter 21, as Aaron read to us, uh, um, God keeps his promise and he gives Abraham, now 100 years old, and Sarah, now 90 years old, a son, whom they call Isaac, which means he laughs. And Sarah's incredulous laughter in chapter 18 turns to joyful laughter, laughter here in chapter 21 and she acknowledges that God has performed a miracle for her. Um, This is the first of uh, the miracle baby tradition in the Bible. You might think of other miracle babies who came along through the Bible story and, of course, the most miraculous and extraordinary miracle baby is the one that was born of a virgin, not just a 100-year-old and 90-year-old parents, but a virgin and that is the Son of God himself. Um, Those those who have a closed view of the world, that is, those who think that miracles are not possible, nothing is possible outside the laws of science... As some people say, they won't believe in miracles. But those who believe in a God who made the laws of science and who can work outside the laws of science if he chooses to will believe that God can do anything. And God, in fact, will do anything in order to keep his promises, whether it be a miraculous birth, whether it be a virgin birth, whether it be raising somebody from the dead, God will keep his promises by whatever means. So God provides through the extraordinary at times we see in chapter 21 at the start. But then we're reminded again that God is working with very fallible material when he works with people like us. The third thing here is that God provides despite our failures. Uh, There's a poignant reminder of a past failure here which Abraham was having to live with uh, in the middle of chapter 21. Because the arrival of Isaac means the departure of Ishmael. And Ishmael was Abraham's son by Hagar, their Egyptian servant, who's the product of Abraham and Sarah's big mistake, trying to fulfill God's promises for him. And Ishmael is now a teenager. And Ishmael and his mother were very bitter once Isaac came along. And Ishmael mocked Isaac, uh, even though he was just a little baby at his weaning feast. And Sarah says to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son. And God says to Abraham, yes, they have to go, but I will look after them. And we're told in verse 11 of chapter 21 that it greatly distressed Abraham to have to send his son away. Ishmael probably now in his teens. Um, Both Ishmael and Hagar are suffering for Abraham's failure. They didn't put themselves in this situation. Abraham did, and Sarah. But all Abraham Abraham could do was, was to give them some food and a skin of water and send them to meet their fate in the desert. Um, So very distressed to send his own son away into the desert to sort of meet his fate. Sorry, you can't hang around here anymore. And he did this to them. And we're supposed to feel very sorry for them as the water runs out, as it's described in chapter 21, and they lie down under a bush to, to die a despairing death. But God intervenes in verse 18 and says to Hagar, lift the boy up and take him by the hand for I will make him a great nation. And then he shows them a well nearby, and uh, so they survive and they go on. And we're told in verse 20, God was with the boy as he grew up. The point here for Abraham, I think, was that he had to live with his failures and just go on with God. Sometimes we have to just live with our failures and go on with God. It's very bitter and humbling when somebody else suffers for your failures. You probably know what's that, what, what that's like as well as I do. And all of us sort of leave a trail of wreckage through our lives in a way. But we need to own our failures and do what we can to make them right and let God care for those who've been hurt and just keep walking with Him. In Galatians chapter 4, Paul refers to this passage and allegorizes this passage. He says that just like the son of the slave woman persecuted the son of the promise, when we follow the law As Christians, it works against our faith in the promise. We have to be defined by the promise which we we follow by faith, not by our efforts to save ourselves is what Paul's saying in Galatians 4. Sometimes when we dwell on our failures it's a sign that we're living under some sort of law instead of under some sort of grace. Um, We have to let God look after our failures because we're not under law and go with his promise in the freedom of the gospel under his grace. God provides despite our failures and he gives us the freedom to move on with him. Uh, so that, that I think we can learn from the middle of chapter 21. He also provides when nothing particularly extraordinary is happening, whether good or bad. And we see that, that at the end of chapter 21, God provides through the ordinary. And here are just very briefly Abimelech resurfaces. He wants to make a treaty with Abraham. Um, all this time, Abraham has been growing in power and growing in riches. God's been blessing him and everybody can see that. Abimelech says to Abraham in verse 22, God is with you in everything that you do. It's like you're an unstoppable force because God is behind you and he's just blessing you and blessing you. And Abraham says, okay, we'll make a treaty. And uh, he is not sneaky or tricky like he was with Abimelech last time when he, when he pimped out his wife and all that sort of stuff. Um, it's just very normal, straight shooting, Um, dealing with Abimelech. Um, Sometimes when it doesn't look like much is happening, God is still building something. Through ordinary things, God is working, not just the extraordinary. God is growing you and building a spiritual legacy when you're just living your life and year after year and doing normal things. If you're doing it with God, then uh, he is still blessing, he's still providing but the big test comes next. Uh, the fifth point is that God provides when things make no sense. And this is chapter 22. It says in verse 1, sometime later, God tested Abraham. Who was, God, was Abraham really trusting? Uh, and this would be the make or break moment of Abraham's walk with God. Here's the test. Verse 2, God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. Uh, Pretty out of the blue and a bit of a shock, what on earth was God thinking? This is an inexplicable command. Um, It was immoral for a start. Human sacrifice is the worst uh, man-made religion can come up with. Child sacrifice, even worse. Uh, This was, of course, cruel, asking Abraham to give up the child that God had given him and encouraged him to love. And it contradicted God's promise because God had promised Abraham through Isaac you'll become a great nation. Um, So the command made absolutely no sense whatsoever. And Abraham seems to have taken the attitude, well, ours is not to reason why, ours is just to do or die. God told me to do it, I'm just going to do it. His feelings aren't described, but his perfect obedience to this command is described here. It says, early the next morning, Abraham moved to obey God. And that is, of course, the best way of getting done what needs to be done. If the command is clear, don't give yourself time to question. Don't give t- yourself time to think. Just do it if it's clearly what God is telling you to do. There are lots of situations where we need to do that. Um, for example, giving money away. I find you've just got to do it. Um, not think about it, otherwise you talk yourself out of it. Procrastination is the enemy of faithfulness because the devil jumps into the little gaps in time that we leave ourselves Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. And the story here is told in slow motion so that we visualize every lonely step of Abraham's as he moves through this three day journey. And the tension rises. He loaded the donkey. He gathered his servants and his son. He cut the wood for the offering. All the way through to the point where he's at the top of the mountain and it says, He bound his son. He reached out his hand. He took the knife to slay his son. Um, you kind of the intake of breath at that point. How did he manage to obey this command, you might be asking? Well, yes, he got on with it and he just did it. But he had three days to walk there and he must have been thinking quite a lot. What was he thinking? Hebrews 11 says that Abraham reasoned that God would raise the dead. Um, If God had promised that Isaac would be the covenant bearer and then God commanded him to kill Isaac... How do you put the promise and the command together? Well, Abraham did it by reasoning that God must be going to raise Isaac from the dead. And that's why when he and Isaac went up the mountain, he said to the servants, you stay here and we will come back to you. That's optimism, isn't it? Uh, uh, Knowing what what he needs to do at the top. But whatever Abraham was thinking as he raised the knife to slay his son, it was an act of absolute faith in God, wasn't it? Um, How is he going to do this? He's just going to trust that God is going to provide. And of course, uh, you might know that there are times in our lives as Christians where that sort of faith is needed. Maybe things just don't make sense. Maybe it doesn't feel right. Why would God ask me to do that? Why would God ask me to go without that? Why would God call on me to walk that road? But God's word is clear and faith just means obeying that word. Whenever we have a costly decision to make for God... Uh, whether it's a big one or a small one, it's a test. Am I going to obey God? Am I going to trust him to provide, even though this doesn't look like a very fun decision to make? Uh, Will we exercise and strengthen our faith or will we weaken it? Do we really trust God or not? Um, Is our allegiance to God or or are we only in it for the gifts that he might give us? Uh, We might not see how blessing will come from obeying him, but we don't always see how God will provide. And so Abraham trudges up this mountain and he gets ready to do the deed. Uh, but of course, God stopped him from killing Isaac at the last second. And then he saw the ram caught in the thicket and immediately understood it to be God's provision of a substitute for his son Isaac. And so Abraham called the place, The Lord will provide. So our job is just to be faithful, it's God's job to provide as he has promised. This story, of course, points us to God's ultimate provision for us. How has God provided for us ultimately? It's through sending his son to die on the cross for us. And this story reminds us of that in multiple ways. Um, Abraham's faith uh, as he trudges up the Mount Mount Moriah and Moriah eventually uh, became Jerusalem, uh, the place of offering and sacrifice. Um, It reminds us of Jesus' perfect faith walking up that mountain as well, passing an even greater test and laying down his own life as a sacrifice to God. Uh, The ram that God provides as a substitute here points us to Jesus, the Lamb of God who is our substitute, who died in our place. Uh, The command to sacrifice Abraham's beloved son, your only son, reminds us of course of God's choice to sacrifice his own beloved son, his only son, so that we can be saved. And so we're being pointed to God's ultimate provision for us in this passage. And the test for Abraham was to trust God. As he trudged up the mountain, he said to his son through gritted teeth, the Lord will provide the sacrifice. And God didn't let him down. So the challenge here, I think, is clear. It's for us to trust God's provision, particularly the cross, which is the point at which, uh, in a sense, it's, it's the make or break point for our relationship with God. But even on the little points, Uh, For us along the way, all the little tests of faith that come through the Christian life, uh, we need to make sure that we're holding on to Christ and trusting him. The chapter ends with a restatement of God's precious promises to Abraham. You have proven your faith. This promise is definitely yours. It's restated to him. And the last picture of God's provision here is very optimistic. Uh, Number six, God provides as a claim on the future in chapter 23. Start of chapter 23, Sarah dies, Uh, a sad event. But it's strange that the whole chapter really is taken up about Abraham's negotiations to buy a burial plot. Kind of weird, really. There's not a lot of sentiment in the chapter. It's just the to and fro of negotiation with Ephron the Hittite who owned this cave that Abraham had his eye on. Uh, But now, of course, at the end, Abraham allows himself to be ripped off by this Hittite, pays way too much for this cave, Uh, But he owns a piece of the promised land at the end of the chapter. And the fact that this piece of the promised land that Abraham now owns would be Sarah's tomb, and in time his tomb as well, is significant because it's a claim on the land into future generations. Me and my wife are going to be buried here because God has promised this land to our family in generations to come. And so our tomb will be here waiting for them when they get back here and they take possession of this land. It's like he's claiming the land. And uh, I was thinking about this um, and I had the thought that when I die on my headstone, I mean maybe I'll be be cremated and I don't really care, but maybe on whatever um, people do, you can write, he lived in hope and his hope still lives. Because that's sort of what Abraham's doing here in buying this burial plot. He lived in hope and his hope still lives. He and his wife are going to pass away but the land is going to be theirs in generations to come. Beyond this life, God will keep his promises. Uh, and it kind of, it's sort of telling us that the blessings we experience now as Christians are really just a piece of the full blessing that is coming. Um, we know forgiveness, we know God now, we, we have his spirit, we're his children, we're part of the fellowship of his people, etc. We have these blessings now, but they are just a down payment on what is coming. God provides now, but his future blessing will be unimaginably great. So I think the main challenge uh, from this passage is to trust God no matter what. Um, Even if you're surrounded by horse manure, um, much of it may be through your own failings. God will provide. Even if you can't see the future, and it doesn't make a lot of sense, God will provide. You are flawed and you fail. Sometimes things are extraordinary, sometimes things are just very ordinary Sometimes things make little sense or they just seem too costly to keep going as a Christian Uh, and maybe we're going to leave this world with only a fraction of the blessing that we have been promised but we can keep trusting God to provide and one day we will see the magnitude of his gift um, uh, when when Christ returns. I think the key to faith-filled optimism and the antidote to despair is not just to fix your eyes on what God is promising you which is great, uh, but to fix our eyes on the one who is doing the promising, on God Himself. And I think this is the distinction that Abraham's test shows to us. Would he live for God's blessing, or would he live for God? Um, and the test really sorted out are you going to live for me, or is it more about the stuff that I'm giving to you? Uh, and Abraham couldn't see any stuff that he's going to receive through this test, and yet he lived for God in this test and so it's our vision of God that has to sustain us as we trust him to provide for us. You can trust no matter what Uh, and that is if you can see God's perfect wisdom and his complete control and his unfathomable grace to you as a sinful person, you will know that he is going to keep providing for you and so you can keep walking with him. So I'm going to lead us in prayer that God does help us to do that, to, uh, to keep looking to him and trusting him no matter what. Heavenly Father, thank you for showing us that through the ups and downs of Abraham's life he could trust you because you are a faithful God who always keeps his promises. We thank you that uh, you do give us blessing in this life uh, but it's a down payment of a far greater blessing to come. We thank you Lord that you do sustain us in little things as well as big things through this life but you also give us tests to, uh, for us to show our faith in you, for us to keep trusting you. And so we pray, Father, that day by day as we make our decisions to trust you or not to trust you, you would give us that faith in you and your promises because we know that you are faithful to us. Uh, help us to follow Abraham's example in the test that he passed here. Uh, help us to keep looking to you uh, even if the future, the future way is not clear to us.